Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Before we get into the program today, I'd like to let you know about a mission planting happening in the summer of 2021. Pam and I are planting a church in Flagstaff, Arizona, and we're looking for people interested in leading that team as well as joining that team as members. If you're interested, please email me at rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. Today on my program, I have Dr. John Oakes. Dr. Oakes is, is a master of apologetics. He's uh, started with a degree in chemistry and has become a kingdom teacher. And now he leads a church in Bakersfield, California, and has helped the church grow by 50% since he began leading it. He's, he's retired, but at the same time, leading a church and making it grow. Uh, Dr. Oaks, John, great to have you on the program. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. I just want to ask you, how, how did you become a Christian? Can you tell me about your, your spiritual conversion story? I like to joke that uh, by repenting and getting baptized, but uh, <laughs> put a little detail on that. Uh, actually, I was a pot-smoking knucklehead in high school and in college, but um, towards the, my junior year in college, I came to have a belief in some sort of a God, so I became a seeker, gave up doing most of the you know dumb things that I did as a kid, but I was more interested in Eastern religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, that sort of thing. Uh, I went off to graduate school, and one of my students trapped me in the balance room. I was his chemistry instructor and uh, invited me to church. And the thing that caught my attention was the loving relationships that were clear that were going on there and the sense of devotion that seemed to be normal as opposed to just spotty here and there, most religions I've come across. So I said, man, I better read the Bible. And I was one of the easier conversions. Actually, three, four weeks, I was baptized. That was December 1978, 41 and a half years ago. That's amazing. So that was at, at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Yep. And Tom Brown, I'm guessing? Yep, Tom Brown studied with me. That's amazing. It was interesting because he was the campus minister, but you have to understand he was probably 25 at the time, uh, maybe 26. So I was closer to his age than I was to the age of the students in the campus ministry. Uh, we were closer to being, um, you know, age-wise and stage-of-life-wise equal. Okay, so, so I want to just kind of, okay, so that was a really cranking campus ministry back in the day. Yeah. And I've got a few connections. So uh, let me see if any of these names ring a bell, like Tom, Tom Marks? Tom's, yeah, Tom Marks, Tom Snyder, Tom's, Tom Brown. All three Toms were in that one Bible talk, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. soul talk, yeah. Now, did you know, like, people like Doug Beatty? Yeah, of course. Okay, because what's amazing, I, I don't know how this came along, but after that period, all of those guys went west to Berkeley. And when I became yeah. a Christian, Tom Brown was leading my church and in Berkeley, California, at the University of California. Yeah. And Tom Marks and Tom Snyder were also there. So you had the three Toms. Those guys used to, to uh, cycle through the pulpit. You never knew which Tom was going to be preaching on any particular yeah. Sunday. And Doug Beatty was my campus minister at the University of California. Uh, let me interrupt you there, because I remember one time I was down in San Francisco for a conference, and Tom Marks gave a sermon uh, from Revelation it was one of the most amazing sermons I ever heard. I think the conference was on something about come to this mountain, the mountain of the Lord. That was pretty impressive. Wow. That's, yeah. That's yeah. 1985 or so, I would think. Right. That was right yeah. around when I started coming to church that mm -hmm. during that period. And I think Henning Droger, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people back from, that was a really, yeah. really strong camp, campus ministry period there during uh, during that time. So we have a little bit of a connection there. Now, you studied chemistry at the University of Colorado, and you became a... Can you tell me a little bit about how your career developed after that? Okay, so I got a degree in chemical physics. It took me six years, so I got to be in campus ministry for almost six years. And um, I wanted to do ministry at that time, but that's what everybody wanted to do. I, I can remember one time we had a meeting, probably 100 people in a room, and 
Tom Brown asked, how many of you are going into the ministry? And like 80% raised their hand, and I'd say two-thirds of them actually did. Hmm. All right. So, But anyway, Tom thought I needed to get some uh, work experience, so I became a professor at uh, Gonzaga. John Stockton, you know, Gonzaga, sure. did that for a couple of years. I was married uh, within a week of when I graduated. And so I worked for two years uh, teaching chemistry. And then I realized my dream to go into the ministry down in San Diego. Greg Muskie brought me down there. But honestly, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of, of strength as an evangelist, particularly. I'm more of a teacher than an evangelist guy. So I found myself more in teaching roles, uh, but the teaching role wasn't honestly terrifically valued at that time. Right, if I can exactly. say that without being too critical. The bottom line is I got fired and I probably would have fired me too. Cause I mean, uh, when we worked with campus, man, we baptisms and we worked with singles. But when I started working uh, more closely with married groups, I think some of my weaknesses became more obvious. So I worked for the church for maybe a year and a half. So then I got fired. I was one of the leading uh, people to have that thing happen. So I went back into teaching. I taught for the next, I think, 30, I don't know, 32, 33 years. Uh, I taught at UCSD. I even taught physics at a high school for a little while. Uh, then I, then Jan and I ended up in Kansas city. I taught at a pre-med oriented college. Then we ended up in Wisconsin for seven years. I got a tenure at a four year liberal arts college. Uh, but by then I decided that I really wanted to pursue teaching ministry as an avocation at like big time. And we were a little bit too isolated. So we moved back to San Diego. I taught there for 18 years and you know, to some extent, my teaching ministry developed during those last 20 years or so. And then um, I, I've been talking for many years, whenever I talk to uh, empty nesters, that we need to start cranking. Late 50s, early 60s is when we really need to start cranking. Um, so I'm, I'm getting somewhere. I'm going somewhere with this, so be patient. No, you're doing fine. It's great. <laughs> so... Um, you know, because like I say, when people are in their teen, t- in their twenties and thirties, they have, uh, in their twenties anyway, they have time but no money. Thirties, forties, early fifties, money but no time. And so, um, so as especially couples, but singles as well, as we get into our fifties and sixties, the amount we have to offer to churches around the world, it it is incredible. I'm telling you, you go to a church in Africa, you go to a church in Philippines, go to a church in Eastern Europe, go to church in South America, and you would be like this rock star hero resource, and you have no idea. So I've been saying that for years. So at the age of like 62, a brother, specifically uh, uh, Paul uh, Bosco, has asked me, why are you still teaching? Why are you still working? Why, why aren't you retiring so you can use your skills? So I decided at the age of 62, that I was going to retire early and use the skills that I have uh, in the kingdom in that way. So that's what happened. Wow. So I retired, oh, just over two years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna hold off on the rest because I think you're gonna ask me questions to relate to the rest of the story. At that point, my career is over, supposedly. Right, okay, so at 63. most of the time was spent at, at UC San Diego, I take it? No. Uh, I moved around a bit. Um, the single longest time was at uh, Grossmont College in San Diego. Okay. Wonderful. 18 years. That's over half my career. That's a long at, time. At so you saw a lot happen there in San Diego, a lot of changes, a lot of different yeah. leaders. Yeah. Um, Dave Weger, Greg Moretzky, Bruce, Bruce yeah, Williams. Gordon Ferguson. Gordon Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've seen a lot. Now, definitely, you you studied chemical physics, okay? And yeah, I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to go into that area because I have <laughs> I'm going to get lost quickly in that deep water. But how did you become? You know, in many ways, like the the kingdom apologist. Of course, you've got Doug Jacoby, but in terms of like science and um, that 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 whole area of evidences and science and creations, different things. You, you've really 
staked out a territory that you kind of own. How did, tell me about the process or how you got into that. I don't know about own it, but, um, well, uh, you know, as a young Christian, here I am working on a PhD in chemical physics uh, in a campus ministry with a bunch of young kids, basically. So I sort of became the go-to guy on questions of all sorts, almost as a baby Christian. So, and also I was influenced by John Clayton. I don't know if you know who John Clayton is. I'm guessing you do. No. So John Clayton is the equivalent of that for the churches of Christ, mainstream, mainstream churches of Christ. And, um, um, and actually, uh, when his wife died, he married a sister from our fellowship, by the way. Wow. Which is kind of a cool story. So he's a Christian evidences guy, a scientist guy. And so he, he is one of the most devoted Christians I've ever heard of, met, or known anything about. Wow. So I, to some extent, that was an inspiration to me to do those kinds of things. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a person who pays attention, uh, who um, likes to ask a lot of questions. And so uh, by the time I've been a Christian for maybe five or six years, I decided that one of the things I'm going to do is develop a Christian evidences ministry. Hmm. And I did that over time. I mean, if you got 20, 30 years to work on something, you can get pretty good at it. I can remember <laughs> we had a, a Bible talk, a soul talk in the chemistry department when I was a pretty young Christian, maybe three or four years as a Christian. And all of us were either chemistry or physics graduate students, all the, the, the members and all the guests. I can remember one, one uh, Bible talk. I said, let's not have a Bible talk this week. Let, let's do this. Let's outline a book on Christian evidences. So what would you guys do? If you're going to write a book on Christian evidence, what would be in that book? And, and we spent the whole time just creating that outline. And to tell you, that's the exact book I wrote probably about 20 years later. Wow. So it's, it's something that I work on over time. Any book that I've written, I've been working on that subject for 10 years, 15 years, developing it in my mind and teaching it and stuff like that. So um, by the time I was a Christian for 20 years, you know, I, I could pretty much handle an audience. Uh, I mean, I've been teaching for a long time. Um, so that's a pretty good tool for that. So, um, you know, I, I, here's a cool story. The, the very first time I gave a fairly large public lecture on Christian evidences, it was at UCSD. I was down in San Diego interviewing for the job that I got in 1986. And the cool story is that so I, I gave this thing on God and science on campus. And 25 years later, I was in Hong Kong. All right. And this guy walks up to me, says, Dr. Oaks, you never met me. But I was an atheist going to school at UCSD, and my roommate was an atheist also. And we said, let's go to that lecture just to, you know, whatever. And he went to the lecture. He heard the argument for the existence of God. Uh, he decided he believed in God and became a Christian. thing is, he was a, you know, a foreign student from China, so he had to go back to China. And so here it is 25 years later, and I meet him. And he wow. said, thank you. <laughs> But the funny thing is, just six months later, I was at another. I was giving a presentation at another conference, and another guy came up to me. He says, "You've never met me before, but like 26 years ago, I was the guy in the booth back in the day. You know, you had a lecture, you had somebody in the booth running the projector and all that sort of stuff. He was that guy, and he got, I don't know, trapped <laughs> after the talk started battling with <laughs> So that encourages me, knowing that, um, you know, being able to answer those kind of questions helps people to become Christians. That's that's pretty solid motivation. That's powerful motivation. And I'm sure you have other stories like that. Where... Uh, a lot, a lot. Absolutely. What Can you share with me uh, a story of a person that was diametrically opposed to, to God who, who ended up becoming a Christian after being convinced by, by evidences. Any stories like that? Or any? Well, there's that guy in China, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of an interesting story. This is not somebody who became a Christian, but it, it's an interesting story. So I taught um, uh, um, sort of a philosophy of science class, an honors class at Grossmont College with a uh, with a guy who was Jewish, but it was a total, complete, utter atheist. 
And, uh, and so we used to, we used to do a section on science and God and that sort of stuff. And, uh, and we, we would debate each other in front of the class and stuff. We, we got to know each other pretty well. But after teaching the class together about four or five times, he came into my office and he came to, he actually kind of shook me. So God, John, there's a creator, there's a God, God is real. So that was interesting. Wow. Um, I don't think he became a Christian, honestly. Right. <sighs> no, that's interesting. You, what I, I'm interested in knowing, how can we as leaders help Christians develop a spiritual worldview? I mean, John, I mean, it's crazy what's going on in the world right now. It, it just feels like there's shifting sand. There's so much change, dramatic yeah. change out there. And, and the... The remnants of Christian civilization, of Christ, common Christian belief, is just—it's like it's been nuked. It's just like a waste yeah. wasteland spiritually. Yeah. Um, how do you help people to develop a spiritual worldview as opposed to essentially a continually changing worldly paradigm? Yeah, in uh, the postmodern, you know, age, if you will, that's particularly hard. By the way, I don't have anything against postmodernism in particular. A lot of people make that sort of like the devil's tool or something like that. There's a lot to be said for postmodernism as a philosophy of culture and art. But I, I would say, um, but nevertheless, in that perspective, it's hard to tie people down to a particular viewpoint, for sure. They, they tend to uh, revel in thinking in seemingly opposing ways. <laughs> That's a challenge. A, a couple things. Uh, first of all, the most important thing is to uh, show people Jesus. I, I you know, I, I can't think of anything better we could do there. I, I would say uh, if we had uh, disciples who understood the Sermon on the Mount and absorbed the Sermon on the Mount and became excited about the kingdom of God, and what the kingdom of God has to say about the earth and, and where things are going now and where things will go, if they can get that already but not yet sense of what Jesus is and what he's doing in the world, then I think people might want to start riding on that train. I do think a little bit of worldview training is important, especially for young people, uh, to you know, just so they know what we're talking about. Uh, what What is the postmodern view of things? Which, by the way, is a very confusing view. Mm -hmm. Or what is the modern view, which was replaced by the most postmodern view? And what does it say about the world, and is it valid? And what about, uh, you know, pantheism and Buddhism and, and Hinduism? And what's the worldview of Islam? I, I think uh, for people to have a comparative understanding about worldview. In fact, you're going to have me do a class about that for your church that's right. in Tucson, I think, right? Absolutely, in October. All right, I'm good. looking forward to I it. I think that's good. That's kind of inoculation against the idea that it's all the same, it doesn't really matter, it's, your, you know, it's true for you, not true for me. Uh, I think it's true for you, not it's not true for me is really, um, if that has to do with culture and music and food, go for it. If that has to do with the truth about the world, that's, that's nonsense. That's... Craziness. Well, one thing I see in the church churches going on is is I see um, people trying to divorce their their faith, their saving faith in 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 Jesus from their worldview and and trying to isolate it where their faith in God really has no commentary on on what on what they allow into their lives or what they view as good or bad. It's kind of like it's separated off. It's like corralled off. They've got their, their faith in God, but it doesn't really have an effect on their view of current events that are shifting around, whether it's their view on same-sex marriage or their view on yeah. uh, cohabitating before marriage or before, you know, just the, everything that's swirling around. And I, I think that's where I, I th find it so important. Like, that's why I want to have you come in because I thought we need like worldview training. We need like practical training on, Hey, mm -hmm. if you're yeah. a Christian, one of the benefits of it is it gives you a cohesive, coherent worldview 
on how to kind of sift through things and, and filter through things spiritually and kind of figure out, okay, what's right, what's wrong? Uh, you know, how, how can I deal with these different thoughts swirling around in, in culture? I know that's not a question, but I, that's well. Yeah, I think thing is there's there's two clashing worlds here, and you and I come from a modernist perspective. I assume you do, and uh, the next generation is coming from a postmodern perspective, and neither is the right perspective. And I think we can learn from them, and they can learn from us. So uh, my worldview is it's about facts and information and theories and uh, rational descriptions of things, and something's either right or it's wrong. And therefore, Christianity was a set of moral values and doctrines. And I don't think that's what Christianity is. Christianity has moral values and it has doctrines, but that's not what it is. But the, the postmodern perspective is completely rejects moral values and doctrines as having any importance at all. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's about... Um, interacting with culture and, and narrative and these kinds of things. And I, I, I think that both perspectives can balance each other out. And absolutely, the younger generation is going to need some training on how to think rationally and logically and deal with the truth, all right? So either it's, it's okay to cohabitate before you're married or it's not, and it's just flat not. And, you know, it, you can love – the homosexual person for sure and we need to and we need to you know the sort of moralistic um um fundamentalist um you know evangelical hatred of people who are gay is so bogus right that's that moralistic worldview on the other hand uh the 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 postmodern younger generation needs a little dose of uh last time i checked uh, Romans chapter one said that that is um, an abomination, right? And it still is. You know, I, I just got a, a, a question on my website just a few days ago. They're, they're, you know, saying, you know, how could you hold on to this Old Testament teaching about homosexuality being sinful behavior? Because it also says you can't wear materials of you know, clothing with two materials and mm-hmm. have this you know, two different crops in the same field and all this kind of stuff. And, and, all right, this person doesn't know the Bible. They don't know anything about biblical teachings, hermeneutics. There's a lot of stuff involved in this. But I do think that, yeah, probably um, the younger set is going to tend to move away from solid doctrinal things. They're, they're going to tend to not even want to defend doctrine, even if it's true. Right. That's concerning. <laughs> And they're going to uh, um, not be willing to impose moral judgments. Right, right. And like when yeah. you when you get questions from, I, I don't want to dig too. You know, I don't want to just pepper you with a bunch of different unique questions about you know different hot topics. But I, I find that there's a lot of times where people are like, oh. I, Anytime you have a standard or have a, a conviction or a belief, it gets met with like, well, that's old school. That's rules based. I don't want to, you're just making me stick to rules. And, and, um, you know, that, that's the kind of re- oftentimes the response I get, and in particular from younger people and in particular from people even raised in the church. And this kind of concept like, oh, that's, it gets dismissed as that's old school. That's just, you know, so. 1985 kind of a thing. Yeah, I've got I've got a response to that. I think I, I think probably we old folks need to listen to what they're really saying. I think what they're really saying is, if you don't love those people, I'm not going to listen to your rule. Mm. I think that's what they're really. They may not know what that's what they're really saying, but I think right. that's what they're really saying. If you're not going to listen to those people and understand them and put yourself into their world, then don't tell me to tell them they're wrong. So that they're, they're going to want us to love them first and then uh, show them why what they're doing is just flat out wrong. And so, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree with the problem you're describing, 
But I think if we try to go at it the way that we were trained to go at it, we're not going to help those people move in a better direction. Right. Okay. That's good. Is that making any sense at all? Yes. Totally making, I think making what sense. You're, I, I think what you and I, 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 by the way, I'm with you on this. I, I'm, no, I, I, I get, you know, I'm, I feel the same things you feel, trust me. But I think uh, our analysis of that is not a completely accurate analysis of what's really going on. Right. They're pushing against some stuff that ought to be pushed against. Okay, Honestly. good. Well, I'm glad you're going to be spending them on teaching classes in our church because we we definitely need it. Yeah. John, because there's a disconnect. Our older generation, we don't understand what's going on with the younger people. And I right. think we need to understand what's going on with them in order to help them uh, pull back into a healthier direction in these kinds of things. Right. I mean, I get it from within my own family, you know, from my kids. Just. Well, let me give you an example. So I was giving a lecture at, at Harvard. And Harvard is a hotbed of LGBTQ stuff, right. okay? Big time, and sure. In a way that's aggressive against uh, Christianity, not mm-hmm. just against right wing, you know, hate, you know, hater Christians, but right. Christianity in general. And so I was giving a lecture on, I can't remember what it was. I think it was on God and science. I don't know what it was, but you know what's going to happen. We have an open mic with questions. So somebody asked me, so, uh, Mr. Physics Professor, what do you think about homosexuality? Well, there's a trap question if there ever was Total one. trap you know question. At Harvard University. So I, I kind of, you know, turned it back around on the questioner a little bit. And, you know, I said, you know, <laughs> I'm sort of confessing the sins of my generation, which is uh, we would, uh, you know, moralize on sins that we don't really struggle with particularly rather than uh, probably what the evangelical churches should be talking about is how about adultery and divorce mm-hmm. and, and so about- I'm a little suspicious honestly of the Christian community that seems to target this particular group um, and I'm sure I mean uh, Romans 1 Leviticus 17 the Bible calls these kinds of behavior abomination. It's, it's true. But God hates adultery, and, and God hates um, um, pornography and, and a lot of other things that are going on in Christianity all the time. Mm. So, you know, the thing is, I think this younger generation uh, sees the hypocrisy in how mainline Christianity has gone after some of these issues. Right. And so they're saying, I don't have anything to do with that. Right. Okay. That's good. Just so what, what you're saying there is that <clears throat> evangelicalism and, and mainline Christianity, it's basically pointing the finger at, at things that kind of a selective curse, like I, I, those things yeah. are bad, ignoring things like greed, adultery, things that are more yeah. closer to home that are much more prevalent. And going on, so there's a hypocrisy, a, a turning a blind eye. Right. But also it's missing the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, there, there's this classic, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get in big trouble. I'm going to mention politics. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, there's one side of the political divide that says Jesus is all about moral issues. All right. There's another side of the divide that says Jesus is all about social justice issues, right? Well, which is the correct Jesus? Right. I'm not going to answer that question. (laughs) But I think anybody who's carefully read the Bible, they know the answer to that question. Mm. And so I think... Uh, those who fall on the wrong side of that question are going to be dismissed, I think, by the younger generation. Right. Hmm. So I didn't mention political parties or even, no. you know, I just... No, I get it. I that's get one it. of those things people can figure out what's going on there for themselves. Exactly, exactly. John, if, if, if a person could only read one book on Christian evidences, what would you recommend? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Reasons for Belief. That's the book I was referring to. I, you know, I'm sort of joking, but actually not. It's my favorite that I've read so far. 
Uh, the reason I like, by the way, I'm going to recommend a couple other books. Just sure. So you know. and, and the author of that book, Reasons for Belief? Yeah, that was me. Okay, there we go, John yeah. Oaks. Uh, the reason I like that book is because it covers all the bases. Um, uh, for example, almost anybody who will t- talk about uh, um, science and Christianity either has no idea what they're talking about, in which case generally not very helpful, either that or they, they're totally into that, but they don't understand um, maybe archaeology or, or uh, you know, the document. So anyway, I, I, I cover, I think, all the important bases. We developed a 10-course Christian Evidences, um, a Christian Apologetics Certificate that people can take. Uh, the one thing that I feel like needed to be added to that book, if I were to redo it, I would do it, is I would actually add a section on worldview. Uh, but I would say maybe my favorite book, other than the one that I wrote, probably would be C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Mm. And Mere Christianity is not a Christian evidences book at all, uh, but it, it kind of boils down the essential questions that I think a non-believer needs to ask in the best way I've seen done. And by the way, uh, Francis Collins, who's the most influential scientist in the world today, is a mere Christianity convert, just so you know. Wow. Did, did that book have any role in your own conversion? No. Okay. I read it after I was... I mean, if, if there's ever a book that's been quoted more times... I mean, mere Christianity gets quoted so many times in, in yeah, Christian. Yeah, there's a reason, though. It's, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, it's like you read any sort of Christian literature, it's going to come up at some point in there, yeah. some sort of a, a quote. Um, you've, you've come out of retirement to go back, I guess not come out of retirement, or you've retired from your professional career. Yeah as a professor, and now you lead a church in Bakersfield, California. So you've left Paradise, you've left San Diego, you've you've yeah. left your comfortable existence. You could have stayed there in one of the most beautiful places in mainland uh, USA. Mainland USA. Did you live in Hawaii for a while? Uh, no, but I, I would sure right. love to. I, right. <laughs> I took a long look at that uh, job opening in Maui. It's like, oh my uh, gosh, geez. that'd be nice. But anyway, um, anyway, you've gone back to lead. How, how's it gone? Can you tell me how it's gone in terms of growth and about the situation that you walked into when you were yeah, 62? Let me, uh, describe how I got here in the first place. Please. So, like I said, I retired a little over two years ago, and my intention was to devote myself more to writing of books. I have a number of writing projects going and have in mind. And also to um, just do more traveling. I've done a lot of traveling. I've taught in 80 different countries, something like 200 churches, to be able to do more of that, especially when I still have energy because I figure my period of time of having energy is somewhat <laughs> get it towards the end but but also to develop the local teaching ministry there in san diego and my website and those kind of things but uh a few months in greg Muskie uh pulled me aside and he said john there's this church in bakersfield uh they're a pretty small church they um he didn't explain it fully at the time but they've been receiving of money for for a while to try to keep things going uh, and there's a couple that have been there that, you know, had uh, basically had a few kids. <laughs> they couldn't, the church couldn't afford them. And I don't know the whole situation, but the bottom line is that couple, which, by the way, who were uh, helping lead a small a church up in Washington, it seemed to be doing a great job, by the way, just, you know. Uh, so the church needed to hire somebody, but they couldn't even get anybody to interview uh, because, all right, so you got a couple, let's say a young couple with some really solid training, both have a college degree, they're in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe late 30s. All right, so uh, how much can you pay us? Uh, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to move to Bakersfield, <laughs> you know, and so, and I, there's no individual who's being called out here. The bottom line is they would have never been able to hire anybody. Honestly. Right. Oh, except somebody like me who's retired and I did retire early. I still need, I need some income, by the way. I, I can't live on zero, but they could pay me, you know, 
uh, maybe about a half salary plus I don't need benefits. So, and so would you, would you interview like, and that's a dangerous question because let, let me honest with you, Rob, I'll just be honest with you. I knew that if I interviewed with them, number one, they would offer me the job. I, I, I'm just, can I say that without right. coming sure. across? No problem. I'm just, of course. I, I knew that would happen. Right. And number two, I knew that I would have no excuse to not take the job because mm. this is what I've been talking about for a long time. Right. So if what I say is true, so that was a very dangerous decision to do that interview. <laughs> now, Jan didn't understand that at the time, but I did. Right. So, in fact, when we came up here to interview, I basically I told the, the guys, by the way, it's essentially, it's Jan that's, in it, Jan's interviewing you, just, just, you know, kind of this. So anyway, so they succeeded in getting Jan to fall in love with the church, so we came. And it was uh, 42 members at the time. Uh, the church had been without much direction for quite a while, all right? E- even the couple that was here before, I think they did, they were kind of leading the charge early on and had some baptisms. I, I get the sense the last two years, they were not making a lot of progress. So um, um, so the, the, the church had, had not had a sense of mission or of, of what are we doing here in Bakersfield? And so uh, there was discouragement, honestly. Church hadn't grown. I, I think the church was no larger than it had been uh, 20 years before. Mm. So that's a pretty long time. And uh, to the credit of, of the couple here before, uh, what they did have, though, was some disciples who just love God. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're a faithful group. They're a really faithful group. There's a lot of good material to work with, but it's a group that had almost no sense of direction or faith of doing great things. And so I, I, I like to say uh, about Luke and Amanda, I, I get credit for really the stuff that they'd done that mm. couldn't, can't be measured. Honestly, that's that's the truth. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I came here and um, we had a devotional, and I and I'm sure they thought I was going to tell them, "Here's the program. Here's what I'm going to do." Instead, I said, uh, "I'm here, and you tell me what my job is." Mm. So we had a visioning session. I asked them, "What do you see? I mean, in your wildest positive imagination, what can you see the Bakersfield Church of Christ being a year from now, a few years from now?" And so we did, we just lined it all out and I said, all right, well, that's what we're going to be doing. Mm. So, so my job was to give a renewed sense of faith and a renewed sense of vision. And I, I just believe that God is going to do great things. I, I just flat out believe it. I, 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 I'm sorry, but I believe that God will do great things here. Mm. All right. And um, so I, I think that sense that God is not done with us is um, that's not I'm not faking that. Hmm. That's okay. what's that's what's so powerful about. So how big is the church now? You're in your 60s. We're like 72 or so. We got I we got three people getting set to be baptized in the next week or so. Oh my gosh! So, so from, about 75. So so from 42 to 75. Was to end at 80 and have 20 in the campus. Right now we have, I think, 16 in the campus. We started with 10 and we have, you know, so probably both will have happened. So campus would have gone from zero to 20 and the church would have gone from just over 40 to 80. That's amazing. So that's, that's pretty amazing. good growth. And the thing is, uh, the, the, the members really believe they're part of something great. Again, that, that's just, there's a sense of that. And honestly, there was no sense of that. There just wasn't. And uh, that's just kind of what happened. It just happened over time. And I think the group had lost the vision that they were going to do great things. Wow. Okay. So, so the church plateaued for years. You had faith and vision. You can just tell in your voice. There's like an absolute confidence in the power of God. Yeah. How how did you get it growing again? I mean, to, the, what's the name of the university there? Is it Stanislaus State? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, first of all, this is definitely not a college town. There's, if there's ever a town that's not a college town, it's Bakersfield. I think of Bakersfield as a suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma, honestly. Well, I'm, I know country Bakersfield, it's and, a country music. And oil it's a, and agriculture. But exactly. there, we have a community college, a good-sized community college, Bakersfield College. And then we have a branch of the San Diego State system, the, 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 you know, that Cal State system. It's a small one, though. It's 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 funny, you know. In most uh, most cities in California, if you go to the community college and there's nothing going on there, there's people taking classes, and then they just leave. Right. And if you go to the Cal State or the UC, man, there's all people there and stuff going on. And Bakersfield is the opposite. The the Cal State here, it's like a it's like a desert. Mm. You go there and you, you can't even find anybody to talk to. Sharing our, we go there and share our faith, and it, it's a challenge. But at Bakersfield College, there's people everywhere just sort of hanging out. So we decided to work there first. And you know, I've, I I was talking to somebody just a, a week or two ago saying, you know, we want to start a campus ministry, but I'm too old to really get up on the campus. I'm like, that is a bunch of baloney because that's that's what I do. Of course, we have we got COVID now, but up until then, I'm on campus sharing my faith two, three times a week, hours at a time. And so we got we got interns, but I'll tell you right now, I, I get as many visitors as any intern. That's the awesome. So it's a lot of fun. So we're up by, so it's a community college, Bakersfield College. That's okay. Main, and, but we did start a ministry at uh, Cal State Bakersfield. We started it in the beginning of February and got shut down five weeks later. But we have two baptisms from there. That's amazing. So there you go. So what advice would you give someone wanting to get a stagnant ministry growing again? I mean, and we're talking, there's a lot of situations like that, John. You've, you've mentioned faith and vision, confidence in God. The, the leader has to believe in the mission of God. They have to believe in the mission of God. They have to have um faith that's not going to be pushed down by people who don't have that same faith. They just, mm. I think the leader just has to uh, believe not in themselves, but in, in God, that God is going to do great things. You know, th- this is not the mission of John Oaks. This is the mission of God. God is doing things here in Bakersfield and we just got to get on board. We just have to get on board with what God is doing. And, um, you know, Hmm. I think one of the challenges there is, I mean, there's so much to talk about. First of all, you came, you came out of the ivory tower, came out of paradise. There I in guess San Diego. so. Community college. Okay, sure. And, and you're, you're there in Bakersfield. It's, it's, I mean, Bakersfield, I'm, you know, I'm from Oregon and, and then grew up in Northern, Northern yeah. California. Bakersfield is like the breadbasket of the U S I mean, it's like agricultural heaven. I, I know that it gets a bad rap, Fresno, Bakersfield, Central Valley, but in terms of like absolute productivity agriculturally, there's nothing that even touches. Nothing in the world. Yeah, nothing that close. Touches That's that right. Central Valley. I mean, there's it, people have kind of a poo-poo attitude towards towards that central area, but I go, man, it's amazing. It's it's like God's garden there. Um, but it is hot, super hot in the summer, and it's it's a honky tonk. I mean, that's where Buck Owens came from, and and country music is really big You're there. You're describing the area quite well, uh huh. You yeah. know, and of course you've got all the the oil derricks, and, and a lot of them have dried up. But it's it's oil country. I don't know if fracking is going on. They're probably not in California. No, not a lot of fracking, but a lot of oil. The oil industry is growing here, believe it or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know. I, I think that's so impressive that you you chose to do that. And it kind of reminds me of that passage where it says, you know, Jesus uh, became poor for your sake. You know, he came down out of heaven, became poor for your sake. And you've, you've really made a sacrifice. What unique challenges do you face as a retired person going into ministry or going back into ministry? Uh, uh, let, let me address one thing before I answer that question. But, but isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be great? to go somewhere and the only possible reason you're there is because you're trying to serve God. Mm. That be, wouldn't that be better? I mean, I find it totally inspiring. That's why I'm, that's why I called you up because I'm like, I'm inspired by what you're doing. And and 
talk about the opportunity to share my faith because people say, what are you doing here? <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But as far as challenges go, um, really, the only cost that I had to count personally is that um, my ability to function in the teaching ministry that I'm devoted to, That because I believe in gifts-based ministry in general. That's, I think that's what God wants us to do is to find a place where we could be planted and use our gift. And of course, I still can use teaching here. I mean, it's I'm kind of, I'm more of a, a preacher teacher than a teacher preacher, so I get to do plenty of teaching here. But that was a bit of a sacrifice. Um, other than that, I am 65. Uh, my energy level is not quite what it was. Although I take the campus students on hikes and I go, to, I beat them to the top of every mountain. So I'm not quite ready to, yeah. You can ask around, you find out. It's true. Yeah. You're not, you're so not too far I, I from. Think, you know, I do have to be a little bit wiser about how I use my energy at this point. Hmm. So I have to be careful there. But honestly, I'd say, man, this is great. Are you kidding? What would be more fun than this? I mean, Jen, are having so much fun. We're having more fun than ever before. That's awesome. You know, there, uh, there might. Sure. I, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. No but... doubt. But um, what's, what's better? than uh, seeing a, a ministry t- turn around, uh, like, completely. Uh, um, and again, not to be negative on what was happening before. If, if, if I'm coming across that way, I, I apologize. That no. Not, I don't, no intention of doing no, that. I, I'm just saying to see something that wasn't thriving as it could and see it to begin to thrive, what could be more fulfilling than that? I mean, what could you do with the... Uh, last third of your life right? <laughs> greater than that to see the kingdom of God advance in ways that it wouldn't have advanced otherwise. What, what could be more fulfilling than that? So I don't really think a whole lot about the challenges. I mean, we had to think a little bit about the finances, a little bit. Okay, but so let's, a, I mean, let's talk not, a little I'm, bit I'm about... A rich American. I mean, seriously, for me to complain about money is... Right. Well, you know, Paul talked about how, you know, you are our joy and our crown. You, you're you like stacking up the diamonds in your, your crown as you face heaven and, and go to heaven. What advice would you give people who are listening who are like maybe in their 50s, could be in their 60s, and are thinking, whoa, and you're sitting there kind of convicted like, wow. You know, they've got lots of spirit, heard 40 years of sermons, have talent, maybe have had previous ministry experience, but... um are thinking about doing something like what you're doing. Cause I, I was talking to a brother. Um, I was talking to Josh Peterson, who's in Albuquerque. And he said he, ch- he was checking out the, Josh, yeah. uh, checking out the uh, disciples today job board. And he just said, there's so many openings for ministers. It's crazy. Hmm. He just said, it's, it's a little, little frightening how many churches are looking for ministers. Any advice you'd give to people that are kind of like wavering, or thinking or considering doing that? Uh, uh, by the way, I gave about a 40-minute version of answering this question just last night for the empty nesters in Orange County. Mm. So contact uh, Steve Stevenson. He'll set you up with, <laughs> with that video there. Uh, but I would say... Um, yeah, you... You need to find a place where the talents that God has given you, the skills you've learned, can be used. And I would say part of the uh, part of the solution to the problem you're describing would be people, maybe not exactly like me, but people in a similar situation, and filling in the gap of some of these places. Mm. Uh, um, for example actually talking about Albuquerque, there's this small church planting in Santa Fe. There's a couple leading that, but but I, I think somebody who, I think about couples, let's say an LA church, there's got to be 200 couples mm-hmm. there. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not exaggerating. Right. 200 couples in the LA church alone, any one of those couples could move to Santa Fe and lead that church and be paid zero and do as good a job as the couple that are there. Nothing against the couple that are there. They're awesome. Right. I know them. I met them in 
in um, South Africa. Right, right. The, the man is from South Africa, and she was on the mission team to South Africa, isn't that right? Right, right. right. Yeah, okay. I met them there in uh, Port Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And But it's possible that they could be used in a different situation. So, yeah, I think that our, our churches in, in smaller cities or just smaller churches, I think some of those gaps can be filled. And like I said, if somebody told me, well, you know, I'm, I'm too old to be doing campus ministry. Like, what are you talking about? Right, I know. What are you talking it, about? Isn't that- you know, I'm too old to help a young pro group. I, I'd say, what are you talking about? Jan and I, that's what we did for, for before we came here, we were we we took on a, a singles ministry in San Diego that was it was uh, <laughs> not good, <laughs> and it had it, it you know it, you know the sort of the bad stereotype of singles ministry. Yep. You know, I'm not going to go into it, but sure. that's kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the, and and it became a, a singles ministry with lots and lots in their twenties and thirties and growing in baptisms. And it was a couple old people that did that as well. So I think if we pour our heart into something, we can do something great. Now, now it's not one size fits all. Some people, the last thing they need to do is go and lead a church because that's not right. in their skill set. Right. But they could go to a place like, say, Sofia, Bulgaria, and maybe run their HOPE programs. Right. Or they could go to um, uh, maybe, I don't know, Vancouver, British Columbia. And 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 start a, an amazing music ministry or something like mm-hmm. that. You got it. It should be um, gift based, whatever we do. But it's got to be something we can pour our heart into. Right. And it could be in my lecture that I gave yesterday. I said probably about forty percent of these couples, what they need to do needs to be exactly where they live right now. Right. But about sixty percent of them, they need to move somewhere else. Right. Of course. Right. Where I came up with the forty percent, sixty percent, I just made that up. Sure, of course. That's just my thinking. Right. Yeah, we got to be willing. You know, a lot of us were thinking retirement is a time to relax and be with our grandkids. Right. Okay. First of all, it's definitely not time to relax. And and by the way, the grandkid issue—that is not as that's you're you're not old enough, Rob, to know about that probably. Right. That the grandkid issue—that's not a that is a that is not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can give space for these empty nesters to at least consider how they can be in their grandkids' lives. That's something. But I think what what this great vision is, you just need to sort of build that in. Mm. Right. You can do both. It's both and, not either or. I'll tell you a funny story. So we're moving here and, and my daughter's trying to lay the guilt trip. Why are you guys leaving? Blah, blah, blah. You're going to be farther away from us. Blah, blah, blah. So uh, I went on whatever... Uh, Google Maps, whatever, and we're roughly ten minute farther drive away from Los Alamos than we were in San Diego. So, <laughs> not much difference. And plus, by the way, when we came here, we specifically told the leadership that you know we need to be able to spend some time with our our grandkids. Right. So you kind of negotiated that up front, especially with your yes. your traveling and teaching ministry. You must have figured that out. And you must have a succession plan for someone who's going to take over after you decide to step oh, back. Okay. Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, yes, in that we definitely know, we, we think we know what needs to happen, but no, we don't know who it would be. All right. So, um, yeah, so I figure that in order to support a strong, well-trained, full-time couple that can take care of the church here, the church needs to hit about 100 members. That's what I figure. And we've gone, like I said, from 42, we're getting close to 80. So I think within six months to a year, the church could be in a place where uh, we a, 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 a trained couple with some youth there could come in and take over. But I, I wouldn't want it to happen but that means you have to fire our campus interns. That would be a terrible mistake. Right. So um, I, we, we, I think we know what needs to happen. I'll, I'll tell the story. So um, I, it, it, when you come and replace somebody who's here before, there's, the, there's that slight discomfort possibility. So I just called Luke and just had a chat. And so I asked him, so what have you heard? <laughs> have you heard any criticism? He said, you know, there's only one criticism I've heard, which is you guys are too old. And I say, 
guilty as charged. <laughs> you know, guilty as charged. Right. But for the moment, we were the perfect, you know, we were. That's right. Perfect. That's, you know, we were pretty much what the doctor needed. Ordered is great. But honestly, we are too old. So somebody ever needs to come here and take over when we're, when we're ready. And so I would be surprised if Jan are leading this church two years from now. And I, I would I would be surprised if we still are. And I would not be shocked if we weren't doing it a year from now. Mm. Yeah, I, the thing that impresses me and what I love about your attitude is the fearlessness and the attitude of like, hey, it doesn't matter what age you are. I, and I've seen this right here in Tucson, even on campus. You know, it's like in my mind, I'm like, when I moved here, I was like 46. And I thought, oh, man, I'm an old timer. And it's going to be really tough sharing my faith on campus. It has never ever been an issue i've never heard a single comment i don't even get weird looks it's just like it it, but in our minds it's like this barrier that we view ourselves as like this doddering old person who's you know totally out of it and if you're older than 26 you're just too old for campus ministry it's 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 a mental construct that it's such a barrier yeah now i have to have a young attitude on campus otherwise forget it but i i totally agree with you yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, John, what advice would you give to a person listening here who wanted to make this life count for God? I mean, you have had such a huge impact, not only in your own personal ministry, but in your teaching ministry, your lecturing ministry, your your whole website on, on Christian evidences. Um, maybe for a person who feels like, hey, maybe I'm not set for ministry, but you know what? You talked about a gift space ministry. What advice would you give to a person that really wants to live a no regrets life and make this life count? Yeah, I, I'm going to quote a line from a very old movie. It's Chariots of Fire. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yep. Eric Little, he was, uh, for those of you who are watching, he was a um, sprinter from. Uh, UK in the 20s. Right. And uh, but he was a very Christian guy and and so what he said was well, the line was when I when I run I feel God's pleasure. Hmm. And so he was running for Jesus and you got that sense. I may not agree with all the doctrines of his church but this guy was the real thing. He was he was the real thing. And so I I think people need to ask what do you love to do because God you know gave us talents. Uh, here's an interesting side note. Do you know where the word talent comes from? You know, like this person is talented? No. You know where that comes from? No. Nope. It comes from the parable of the talents. Because hmm. a talent was a unit of money. Hmm. It was not a talent. Hmm. So there you go. There's that little thing there. But anyway, so what what are you passionate about? Surely you have a passion. And I hope it's not watching TV, you know, a right. passion that involves people, that involves, um, you know, helping people's lives. I'm, I'm, you, you're a human being. You have to have that passion. And so you have to start thinking the sooner you do, the better. I started when I was about 40. That's That was an advantage for me. I became passionate about using the things that I love by the age of 40. So that became a, a, a controlling influence in my life mm. sooner the better but then once you decide what you love to do then you just need to find a way to do it right that's powerful. And you, 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 but the thing is the world around you is telling you not to do it it, it just is right and we, we you know and even your fellow disciples I hate to say it are going to tell you not to do it right I wish that was not true, but they're not going to say it out loud, but, you know. So, yeah, you've got to be willing to go against the cultural grain a little bit to do something crazy. Right. But we have enough, we have enough examples. In our churches, we have enough examples. There's, there's enough that you can you, – surely, whoever you are, you know somebody who's done something just a little bit crazy right. later on in their life. And in every case, they're the happiest people that you know. That's right. And you know, it makes me think about the lesson from that. George Gerganis, who went 
with his wife Irene back to Japan in his 70s yeah. and replanted the church in Tokyo. That church grew to a thousand. I think about Gary Roberson in Hawaii going there in retirement. Ken Burford going in retirement to Flagstaff. It's inspiring what you're doing. And, and John, I commend you. I, I think about your ability as a teacher, but now also as an evangelist preaching the word. Um, you know, I spoke with Gilbert Kimang from uh, Nigeria on, on uh, the, one of my closest friends. Yeah, and it, he's you know he's got that cross giftedness that I, I go. It's powerful the teaching, using your talents fully surrendered to God. Um, I'm inspired by what you're doing in in Bakersfield, and I want to wish you the best. And I I'm so happy that you've agreed to teach in the church in Tucson in, in our midweek classes in October. I can't wait to listen to those. Just filled with respect for you. Um, any Thanks. final words? words john um not really except to the empty nesters or cindy empty nesters out there got to get a vision god's not done with you yet in fact i'd say god's just getting started with you (laughs) that's a great quote right there there you go and i want to thank you so much for joining this program if you're enjoying the podcast i'd like to ask you to please let your friends and family know please subscribe and you can also email me with feedback or questions. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count. 